Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be your people. To be your people together, but just to be your people, your family, led by you. Thank you, Lord, for being our Father and our Lord. We pray that you fill us with your spirit now. Open our hearts to you even as we open your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 18, David sang, Yahweh is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I could technically just end the sermon here. Um, But I, I love to think about what he's saying here. It's not that God will provide a rock or a fortress or a refuge when we need it, or a shield, or a stronghold. It's that God already is those things. He already is those things. You can already count on him to be precisely what he needs to be. You don't need anything more. We're right to pray, dear Lord, provide me a rock, provide me a fortress, provide me a refuge. But I encourage you, even in those prayers, to start with remembering that he already is there it's often more about us going to him than him coming to us with something david's son compiled a bunch of proverbs among which in proverbs 18 he noted the wealth of the rich is their fortified city they imagine it to be an unscalable wall that's what that's what they look for the the people of this world will look at transitory things like wealth or or towers, or walls, or fortresses made of stone. You know, the stuff that doesn't last. Right? It doesn't, does it? I mean, wealth tarnishes, it fades, it gets lost in the mail. It gets lost in the mail. Wealth is not something you can trust. Every stone ever put on any other stone has remained? No. The walls of Jericho fell. You can't trust those things. Somehow it's never quite enough to make ends meet. It's never quite what you wanted it to be. On the other hand, in the same proverb, Proverbs 18.10, the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to that, and they're safe. Towers made of stone, those fall. Babylonian towers that reached the skies, those fall. The name of the Lord never does. Never does. You can always count on calling on God's name and on his character because it's his character to save and that character never changes. I say all this because I want us to remember where power, where refuge, where military might, where all this ultimately resides because we look for it. Let's be honest, even we as Christians often at least start by looking for it everywhere that it isn't. We look for it in wealth. We even pray, dear Lord, please give me wealth so that I can. Dear Lord, please give me a fortress so that I can. Again, it's not wrong. It's just just missing the best parts. And it'll be more relevant in a minute when we're going to talk about going into battle. But it's even relevant where we pick up in Ephesians where we left off. So hopefully you're in Ephesians 6. But verse 10, finally, because we're actually going to finish it. We're actually going to finish Ephesians today that we've been working on all this time, but it's worth remembering what's gone before. Those first several chapters are so encouraging and and edifying. They build us up. And then the last several chapters have been Paul consciously commanding us 
to actively live all those truths out. It's like, isn't this cool? Yeah, isn't this cool? Yeah, isn't this cool? Yeah, do that. Live like that. I pray that you live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You actually have to live that out. You have to take off all those old ratty clothes that you used to wear that look like everybody else's. You need to put on fresh, new, clean clothes that Christ bought for us, that he washed for us with his own blood on the cross. You need to do that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. No, 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 you need to do that. And part of that new wardrobe that we're supposed to actively put on every day is a healthy appreciation for the importance of submission. Remember when we talked about that last, might remember we talked about that last week. This humble, other-oriented, get-past-yourself willingness to not be top-billing in your life. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, isn't that a little bit of a isn't that a little bit of a of a weird conflict there? Isn't it strange that immediately following the need for us to be submitting, to be submissive, he says, be strong? Isn't submission the opposite of being strong? Isn't it? Isn't that what the world says? Submission is Losing your agency, losing your freedom, losing your strength. Isn't that what the world says? But that's not what God says, right? In fact, it's an important thing that submission, meekness, is not about weakness. It's about strength. Because remember, meekness isn't weakness. Clark Kent isn't meek because he's weak. He's meek because he's strong and doesn't snap you like a dry twig, right? It's power under control. That's what the word meek is talking about. Ironically, it's the refusal to submit. No, I won't, I won't, I won't. That is often an indication of weakness, not strength. I'm afraid to bend my knee because if I bend it, I'll break. I'm afraid that I'm not strong enough to submit to somebody like you because you might hurt me. I am vulnerable and I can't do it. It takes strength not to feel the need not to act on the need, not to be bound by the need to defend my pride and privilege and dignity in this place. It takes strength to say, how do I wash your feet? But I would argue that that strength is an unnatural level of strength. It's an unnatural level of power. And to be able to really do that, I'd argue it comes from God. Because otherwise, you're either going to fight or you're going to acquiesce. And both of those come from brokenness. But to be strong enough to go, doesn't matter what I could do. What I will do is bend my knee and wash your feet. That comes from God. So be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His mighty power and what He gives you. Not in your own power, not in your own ability to bring about what you want to see happen because the name of the Lord is a strong tower, right? The Lord is my rock, my fortress. So be strong in the Lord, in His mighty power so that you're never too weak, too fragile to face this world and its warfare. And it's warfare. God has given you new clothes to put on, right? So he says, put on those new clothes. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, the slanderer, the accuser, the attacker. That's what the word devil means. All things that God isn't. Right? So God's people 
aren't. We aren't slanderers. We aren't accusers. We aren't attackers, right? That's not what we do. That's what Satan does. I don't want to do that. I don't want to echo him. For our struggle, which is great, it's a wrestling term. It's used only here in the Bible, once. Paul says, I'm going to use a wrestling term. So if you've got the King James Bible, you're right. King James gets this right. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not who we're grappling with. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's worth unpacking a smidgy bit. Because it's really clear and it's really simple and somehow it's still really hard for most of us to wrap our heads around. I love those things in Scripture where you go, isn't the Bible clear? Yes. Do you do that? Oh, no. Why? Because I follow the Bible. Is it clear? Yes. Is that what it says? Yes. Do you do that? No. You're not here to grapple with all those lost, broken people. Not your job. That's not the fight. They're lost. They're broken. So when they lash out at you or lash out at me, they're lashing out out of their lostness and their brokenness, right? That's why Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to this world. You're not from this place anymore. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. The world hate the church because the church has abused it over the years? Sure. And when we have... That is to our eternal shame. We need to not do that. But if you did everything right, if the church always did everything right, if we absolutely have never screwed this up, if we do everything right and we have never abused anybody, the world would hate us. In fact, I'd argue more. So anybody that sits there and goes, well, the reason the world hates us, the reason you get that negativity is because of what we've done right. Because of what we've done right. And what we've done wrong. But it's because of what we've done right, Christ says. It'll still hate us. It'll hate you because you aren't them. And in the same breath, literally the exact same chapter, the exact same argument, Jesus says, that's why this is my command. Love each other. Why? Oh, because they hate you. So love. Don't do what they do. They're lost. They're broken. Instead, do what Christ does. He's not lost. He's not broken. Don't reflect Satan. Reflect Christ. Don't reflect the lost, broken world. Reflect being whole and being found. This is not unclear, is it? When you're slandered, don't lash back. When you're accused, don't lash back. When you're attacked, don't lash back. When you're hated, don't lash back. What do you do when you're slandered and attacked and accused and hated? You lash back. Why? Because you echo this place. He says, don't do that. When you're hated, respond by loving the people who are hating you. Don't do what they do. You're not from here anymore. Don't do that. Don't trust the towers that they trust. Don't fear the attacks that they fear. Don't use the tactics that they use. Don't accept the battle lines that they draw. Don't accept the teams that they decide. They fight against you. You don't fight against them. Don't do what they do. Because 
92.7. It's been proven mathematically. 92.7% of the time, when we fight, we're just fighting for our own little bit of turf on this planet, just exactly the way that they do. This place, the physical resources, the conceptual ground, as if we want to declare our turf good and keep it from all those bad turf people. This is good turf. But Paul says, I'm sorry, the whole world is dark, including your turf. It's all dark. It's all broken. It's all lost. If you're going to fight, fight for heaven. Not some glossy version of your best version of earth. Fight as ambassadors of heaven. And that changes who you fight, where you fight, and why you fight. Doesn't it? And how? For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, not Republicans. Stop it! Not Democrats. Stop it! Not pro-choice. Stop it! Not pro-life. Stop it! Not Baptists, not Catholics, not atheists. They're not who we fight against. And if you find yourself going, well, I kind of have to, congratulations, you are them! Don't do what they do. Don't do what they do. We're not fighting against them. We're fighting against the evil that twists and distorts them and us. In fact, we've already seen this word powers. We've seen them talking about this already and authorities here in Ephesians, haven't we? Back in chapter 1, at the very beginning, he talked about God's incomparable great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Same heavenly realms where the spiritual powers, forces of evil in chapter 6 are. But he seated far above all rule and authority, all above all those powers and dominions, all above all those, all above every uh, title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Yes, there are powers there, and he's above all of that. He's already conquered all that. So what should the church's perspective be? Leave it to Christ, pretend it's not there, fight the underlings? Or do we say, wait, wait, Christ is already sovereign over them. They're already vassals. They're already brigands just scrambling for scraps, the last little dregs of victory that they can get here or there. But that's where our fight is, fighting already mostly defeated enemy. We could even cheat if you want to cheat and keep staying in Ephesians, but you could jump to Colossians if you really wanted to. Colossians 2, where Paul talked about, and he reminds us that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave you all your sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it it away, nailing it to the cross. It's gone. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, marching them through the streets going, they're done. He went to the spiritual prison and said, you guys have lost. Let me make proclamation that I've won. Not being a jerk about it, but being accurate about it. Can a disarmed power still be a threat? Oh, yeah. 
They can still be a threat. A terror? No. The power from God that defeated and disarmed and triumphed over them, that rose Jesus from the dead, is already at work in you. The incomparable power. It's incomparable. His power is like their power? No, it doesn't even compare. His incomparable power is already at work in you. I've said it so many times before. We've heard, I, I apologize, but it's, it's an important analogy. When it comes to us fighting Satan, it's like we're field mice facing against some raving, starving lion. Who wins in that fight? The lion. Every time. You can't stand there and go, yeah, but I'm really tough. You're going to lose. You're going to lose bad. He's going to chew you up and devour you. That's the way that works. Going up against Satan on your own is foolish because he wants to hurt you because it's the only way he knows he can hurt the father is by hurting the children whom he loves. I, I have no chance of hurting you. You have incomparable power. But every time I hurt one of them, your heart aches. So every time I hurt one of them, I look at you and I go, stick it to the man. But as Christians, you are not just field mice. You're field mice on the back of a bull elephant. And a bull elephant has no natural enemies, not even lions out in the wild. It cannot hurt you. Satan cannot touch you. You are mice. Satan is a lion. And your bull elephant is Jesus Christ. And the only way you can get hurt is if you slide off his back and go, ha-ha, psych, Satan! I have power over you! You go, you're no longer on the, on the elephant's back, you bonehead. And now it's just you versus Satan again, and you're going to get chewed up and devoured, because that's the way that works. Only a fool would slide down off the elephant. Not only because it doesn't work, because you don't have to. Because Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. Do not live in fear of Satan. But don't die because of pridefulness. Don't do that. Listen to what God says. Do that. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take off the world's clothes. Put on what God gave you because the devil is scheming children. This world is not our own. It's a mission field, and it's a battlefield. You may not want to think about it, but you are at war every day. The world is actively fighting against the work of God within the world. Now, they don't even realize it sometimes. In fact, most of the time, they wouldn't realize it that. They wouldn't think about it in those terms. Sometimes they just think they're being progressive. They're being humanist. They're being forward-thinking, whereas the church is being reactionary and destructive and backward-thinking. More often than not, the world thinks they're the ones being righteous, and you're the ones being evil. They're going to fight you because they're trying to be good people. You can't hate somebody for that. You shouldn't hate somebody for that. But the trickiest bit of this war, and this is counterintuitive as well as confusing, the trickiest bit is that the world is at war with us. We are not at war with the world. The world is fighting against us. We're not fighting against them. We're fighting for them. It's really tricky to fight a war when somebody's shooting at you and you are not supposed to be shooting back at them. You don't see them as the enemy. You see them as the victim. I can't help but think 
can't help but think of places like the Democratic Republic of Congo, where it's completely common for children as young as six to be recruited by the militias to fight, handed an AK-47, taught to fight and kill. That's estimated that 60% of the fighting forces in the region, 60% are between the ages of 8 and 16. That's 30 to 40,000 children in the Congo being taught to kill. 120,000 at the very least across the continent of Africa. Around the world, really. So that, that child pointing an AK-47 at you, is that child dangerous? Oh, yes. He's going to shoot at you and he's going to try to kill you. He sees you as the enemy. So that child who's shooting at you, is he the enemy? Oh, no. Oh, no. He's the corrupted innocent. Somebody who's been twisted and brainwashed and hurt. He's the person you're supposed to be trying to reach out to, to save, even as he's shooting at you. And that makes it tricksy. There is nothing in this world that is ever going to make me pull the trigger on a brainwashed eight-year-old. I don't care how badly that eight-year-old's trying to kill me. I'm not killing them. I'd rather he kills me than me kill him. I know where I'm going. Beloved. Isn't that what the world is? Isn't that what the whole world is? Broken, confused, lost children with guns and pain and lust and malice and anger and lashing out that all comes from hopelessness. Isn't the whole world just children who desperately need a father, a family who won't abuse them? So is the best way of reaching them going, you sinner, God hates who you are and you got to be like me or else you'll go burn in hell. Or is that the same kind of abuse they get every day from the world? Speak truth in love because you love the person shooting at you. I don't want to do what they do. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. You've been given the name of the Lord. You've been given an embassy of heaven. You've been given the armor of God. You are not who they are anymore. Do not do what they do. Do not fight the person who is fighting you. Instead, fight the evil powers, confusing and distracting and directing and hurting that person who is being twisted into fighting you. Don't do what they do. Now, That does require the strength to submit yourself to God's heart, God's will, to submit yourself to their needs. Do you remember last week when we spent an entire chunk of time just talking about submission and the importance of it? This is where Paul's ultimately going with it in terms of your horizontal living. Don't fight who they fight. Don't fight how they fight. Fight in a strength that comes from God and a wisdom that comes from God that tells you who you're actually fighting and how. Therefore, put on, take off the world's fighting gear that you've been taught to use all your life by every playground fight and every TV show and every movie and every news story. You've been taught who to fight, haven't you? Haven't you? 
I don't care which news service you, you read or watch. They tell you who to hate, don't they? You've been, you've been taught by TV who to hate. You've been taught on the playground how to fight. You know this. You punched the person who punched you, yes? We know this. Take off all that and put on the full armor of God. And here is one of the Bible's most famous audiovisual aids. The full armor of God. Not just part of it, all of it. So that when the day of evil comes, and those days come way too frequently, we may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And I love that image of the warrior who takes a stand and holds his ground and doesn't give way, who prepares, who fights, and who at the end of the battle still stands. The flag may be tattered, but it's still there. So let me introduce you to the Roman soldier. very dark the, the Roman soldier he's like a shadow in the night in a snowstorm in the night as you can see here in this graphic which I have prepared okay maybe while the graphic is finding its way let me remind us Where's Paul at the moment? He's chained to a Roman soldier, right? Paul is chained to a Roman soldier who probably looks a lot like this. Probably dressed a lot like this. Probably has this armor on. Maybe even as Paul is going through talking about the armor of God, he's pointing to specific pieces like Bucky has on here. Buckyus. Like Buckyus has on here. Maybe Paul is specifically pointing to this, to this Roman soldier who's heard all of this. This Roman soldier, ah, this Roman soldier, an intimidating looking fellow. <laughs> well, he was, he was intimidating. He's like a mobile fortress of God. But he had everything he needed. Everything he needed. And Paul's like, I want you to be this mobile fortress for God. But maybe, maybe the Roman, okay, let's think it this way. Maybe the Roman, maybe his dad had been in the Teutonburg Forest, one of the 20,000 soldiers that lost their lives to the Germanic tribes. Maybe he himself had just come from the uh, Jacob and Simon uprising, seen his friends being killed. And he's chained to this guy who says, we fight, and I want you to prepare for battle. Don't you dare raise your sword to another human being. I want you to prepare for a battle, and I want you to dress like this Roman soldier who are not the people we're fighting against. What would that do to this guy? To have fought against Jews, to have fought against German barbarians, and to hear this guy go, fight but not like these people. We don't fight Rome. We don't fight the people who would chain us and enslave us. We need to remind ourselves that we're fighting against the evil that chains and enslaves them, like it used to chain and enslave us. Put on the full armor of God. Prepare for battle. Stand firm with the belt of truth. Ooh. Oh, monkey. With the belt of truth. Uh, here we go. 
with the belt of truth wrapped around your waist, right? That's the last piece of the armor that the Roman would put, would put on. Okay, it's the last. Excellent. But Paul lists it first. He says, literally, hitch up your drawers with this belt of truth. Everything else keeps together and will fall apart based on whether or not you have God's truth holding it all together. So start with that. Otherwise, you're just mice in the field and you're playing at being a soldier. Stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And any good Jew would have caught the reference there because he's quoting from or at least nodding to Isaiah. Isaiah 59 tells us Yahweh was appalled that there was no one to intervene to bring justice to a darkened world, to protect those who were prey to the evil one. So his own, his own arm worked salvation for them. And his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness, his righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So this really is the armor of God. Not just armor that comes from God. This is the armor that Isaiah says God wears. This is God's righteousness. Not just your righteousness. Not just you polishing up your ratty old armor. This is new armor that you've been given. This is God's righteousness. Can't help but remember Paul saying, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Don't play at this. Live out God's righteousness. Stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Stand firm, but be ready to move because you can't share the gospel without moving around a little bit. There ain't no armchair evangelists, right? Doesn't, Doesn't work like that. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. That's, that's what the gospel is, right? Good, good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Even their ugly, dirty old feet are beautiful if they're on the move and sharing that good news to a lost world, right? Are you... prepared to be on the move we've got a seder coming up we've got good friday we've got palm sunday we've got resurrection sunday we've got monday are you prepared to be on the move to share the good news to tell everybody around you to make opportunities for you to tell everybody around you or is your armchair really really coming Hitch up your drawers, lace up your shoes, because you need to be ready. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the the evil one. Okay, I'm going to (coughs) say the shortcoming of this particular graph. Um, Roman shields are bigger than this. Sometimes they're like five feet tall, curved, heavy wood. These things were tough, hard to break through. This guy was a tank. In fact, in fact, he would get together with his unit and they would lock shields in front of them and lock shields over them and they, were, they called it the tortoise. You couldn't break through it. You could go through a thousand barbarians and have ten guys be impregnable as they go through it. Unless one of the ten guys goes, yeah, I don't feel like doing that. <laughs> and you got a big deadly hole, right? I'm sorry, how important has Paul repeatedly 
said is unity within the body as we battle? Is it okay if some of us don't do it? By the way, if you are ever in Germania and you're a Roman soldier and the barbarians are shooting flaming arrows at you like they did, that's got to look a little scary, doesn't it? What these guys would do is wrap their shields in wet leather. So these flaming arrows would just come, and they go, fizzle. Oh, what? But they were on fire. He go, yeah, and it looked really impressive. What did it do? Nothing. Kind of like when Satan attacks, and you go, oh, it's big, and it's dramatic, and scary, and a lot of sound and fury, signifying not much. Do you have the faith that says, I don't care how flaming your arrows are. As long as I'm trusting in my faith, I'm on the back of a bull elephant. Why would I be afraid of you? Why would I be afraid? You've got to remember in your faith that God is so much bigger. God is so much bigger than Satan. And Satan's attacks just fizzle. But also take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Wait, that's back in Isaiah again. Because remember, he talked about the helmet of salvation. God's own helmet, his salvation, forged by his own outstretched arm. That's what protects our most important bits. We're saved by his salvation, and we continue to be saved by his salvation. You wear God's impregnable armor, unless you don't. Unless you don't have faith, you don't have salvation, you don't have righteousness, you don't have truth, then you're, then you're just the field mouse, right? You don't want that. Take the sword of the Spirit, he says, which is the Word of God, the only offensive weapon you have, the only offensive weapon you have. Take the sword of the Spirit, Isaiah 11, because you keep going back to Isaiah here. Maybe Paul was thinking of Isaiah. Yahweh will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. In the book of Revelation, John describes the triumphant return of the word of God and says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which will, with which to strike down the nations. Our favorite preacher in Hebrew says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged Roman sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There is nothing, nothing in this world that strikes and penetrates as fully, as comprehensively, as effectively, as powerfully as the Word of God. There's no doubt in my mind. This is why Satan and the world have tried so hard over the centuries to dull and discredit and demean and chip the Word of God. To soften and ameliorate and discredit the word made flesh in Jesus Christ. The world doesn't see the word as a viable weapon, though it still seems to be very afraid of its use. We as Christians oftentimes will say, well, then I can't really quote it because they don't really like it, so I'll fight the way the world fights, with guns and hate and insta-face twit. Because we mistakenly think that we fight them, which means we need to fight like them. Don't do what they do. Don't fight who they fight. Don't fight like they fight. When the world slashes at you with vitriol, don't 
slash back the same way. When the world slashes at you, stand firm in righteousness, protected by faith and salvation. And if any cutting comes from you, let the only cutting come because you happen to be quoting the word of God and it is inherently sharp. And then, last of all, Paul lists the artillery, right? He does, doesn't he? Doesn't he list artillery? Because you need support. You don't go into battle without artillery, without air support, without some kind of support, do you? Behold the ballista. This is the Roman artillery, the far thrower, the ballista, from which we get English words like ballistics and ball and parabola and all these other throwy words. This is the long-range weapon used to support the infantry when they're out in the field from a distance. And isn't that exactly where Paul goes next? What's the very next thing he says? Pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Do you see any, any repeated concepts there? All, all, always, always, all, all, always, all, all, always, all. Sometimes, no, all, always. Constantly, always, be always, always doing this. Please do not stop supporting the troops in the field. Please do not. It's not really my day for that. Please do not stop supporting the troops in the field. Please do not do that. There's you stepping out in your own mobile fortress of God to do battle, which you do every day. And then there's you always active in supporting all your other fellows who are also mobile fortresses of God, who are also supporting you. By the way, if you're out in battle, wouldn't you like air support or some sort of artillery support? Wouldn't you like other people praying for you? They're in battle. They'd like it if you did too. Please do what you're asking them to do. Pray also for me, Paul says, that whatever I open my mouth, whenever I do, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Clank, clank, clank. Gospel's hidden from them. I pray in that I unhide it. Please pray that I unhide it from them. But even Paul says, I want my words, my weapons to be God's word, not my own. Even while I'm chained to this particular armchair, Paul says, I want my feet to be ready to move. I want to be fearless and moving to share the gospel message. Please pray to support me in doing the right thing and in doing it the right way. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. If even Paul needs our help in doing this, then don't be scared to be scared. You ever a little intimidated? Paul goes, yeah, pray that I'm not, because apparently even Paul gets intimidated by it. Then again, if Paul says, you know what, I sometimes need help with this, I need to work on this, and yet, chained up though I am, and locked away though I am, even Paul is actively active in living out the gospel, then what justification do you and I have for staying in the comfy chair, slipping on the comfy clothes, not getting into God's armor. Beloved, we're at war. And that doesn't go away just because you don't want to think of it that way. If you're not preparing for war, it doesn't mean you don't have to fight. It just means you lose faster. And the sad thing is, not that you lose and die, because I know where you're going. Sad thing is, is if you don't fight... And nobody's fighting for those people. And when they lose and die, I, I, I don't know where they're going. Please 
Please don't stop fighting. The enemy's on the move. The world turns whether we acknowledge that turning or not. So let's step up. Let's step out. Let's take our stand and meet our enemy and try to save him. Tychicus, my dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, who's been writing all this down for me as I've been dictating it, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, and I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. I mean, I'd love to have him here, but you guys need to know this because I want you to know how we are, and I want him to be able to encourage you. And how does he finish the letter? He finishes it exactly the same kind of themes that he started it with. Peace to the brothers. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, love, faith. Live those out. Beginning of the letter, middle of the letter, end of the letter, everything we do. And grace, God's unmerited favor, to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Actually, the grammar of that's a little confusing because being Paul, he has to end it just a little confusing. Is that to all who love Jesus with an undying love? Or is that grace from God and Jesus who give you grace with an undying love. Yes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that such an encouraging book can also cut down to the very marrow. Such a positive book that tells us that we were chosen for the creation of the world also says you're at war and you're you're having to fight. I pray, Lord, give us good eyes to see who our enemy is, who our enemy isn't, and what our fight is and what our fight isn't. Help us, Lord, to love you well, to worship you in how we sing, to worship you in reading your word, to worship you in our prayers, to worship you in eating matzo ball soup, to worship you in eating matzo bread up here next week to worship you in how we fight, to worship you in how we don't fight. Help us to give you, ascribe you worth in everything. In Jesus' name and for your glory, amen.